As always, Indie Mixtape and all other products of Uppercut are brought to you by listeners and audience members. If you'd like what we do and want to keep that ball rolling, head on over to patreon.com slash uppercutcrit and check out the tiers we have on offer. These folks here have selected our $7 or $10 tiers, making them producers of the show. So without further ado, huge shoutouts and thanks to all of our patrons at these two levels. Mars, Slime Hunter, Boo It's Natalie, Christopher Franklin, Jay Holmes, Thomas Lewis, Chris Lawrence, Justin, Third Avenue Anti-Capitalist, TBS Kien, Katie Mayer, Dale, Chris Edgerton, Jesse Vitelli, Adept7777, Lucas Lyon, El Tantivy, Adrian A. Rock Williams, Matt Flowers, Andrew Sherman, Colton Crow, Jared Shu, Cam Koenig, and Quinton Hoffman. Thank you all. Good day, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Indie Mixtape. My name is Ty, and joining me today, we have the illustrious HB. How are you doing today, HB? Hi! I'm doing wonderfully well. Hell yeah. That's what we like to hear. Um, so, let's just hop on into it. Uh, today, yeah. we, are, we are mutually talking about a game called South Scrimshaw, uh, I guess specifically part one. It is a sci-fi game, technically, about, like, it's it's a nature documentary being filmed in the ocean of a planet that is not Earth. Yeah. About a species of whale called Brillo whales that, like, are able to incorporate other forms of life into their physical bodies and become, like, basically little miniature ecosystems. Yeah. It's pretty fucking sick, honestly. Yeah. It's like it's like if a sperm whale could create its own like look. It's like the you know the like the like the like the the Avatar the Last Bender like lion turtle or like any of those turtles that have like worlds on their back. It's like that mm-hmm. but if it was a whale. Yeah, if it was a whale, it could, like, have these incredibly intricate symbiotic systems that make it all work. Also, it's crazy because, like, some of the, like, every whale, like, creates their own ecosystem on themselves or whatever. And, like, they, uh, as you see more whales, they've all done, like, different things with different creatures to make their bodies look different. And, like, either maximize themselves to hunt or, like, to hide. And it's just, it's really cool. Yeah, it's the coolest. Like, like, this is quite possibly the single prettiest game I've ever played. Like, yeah. there are... It's just on another level. Like, as visual novels go, because that's what this technically is. It's a visual novel by, uh... It's a, it's a visual novel by a single artist, for the most part. Mm-hmm. Where it's a... Uh, it's, it's a visual novel, but it's very... It's very visual. It's high on the visual and lower on the novel, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah, it's fully supposed to be, like, a very lightly interactive, like, documentary, basically. Yeah. It feels like you're watching, like, a Nat Geo or an Animal Planet or something. It gets the vibe well. It gets the vibe so well. Like, just perfect. And, like, part of this is the style of its presentation, where it's fairly sparse on text and heavy on the illustrations. It has a lot of... It lets the illustrations do a lot of the talking, and the rest is, like, a nature documentary synth voice that plays over it. Mm-hmm. It's, like, uh... It's, like... Apparently, I think it's an AI voice, which is kind of weird. Yeah. But it's, like, it's a very, like, British nature documentary recording kind of voiceover. Yeah. And the whale is... The, the baby whale, because the nature documentary follows a specific baby Brillo whale to, like, I guess you know, document its lifespan and how its body changes and stuff. And, like, the baby whale is so fucking cute. It's so cute. It's yeah. the cutest shit. 
and like its little facial expressions that it has are so fucking good. Yeah, my God, it's the cutest whale I've ever seen, and that's saying something. Whales get a lot of cute fiction devoted to them. There's a, and yet it has so much, like it's realistic, but it has a lot of exp- expre- expressivity there. I guess the word is. Where just it like... feels like if, if like Miyazaki from fucking, uh, like Totoro and stuff, made a nature documentary. <laughs> Yeah. It's like there's a lot of aesthetic elements that come together pretty much perfectly here, so the illustrations are great. There but there's also like this is like the way that all of the music from this seems to be coming from like free music libraries, which is mm-hmm. kind of incredible, considering how completely flawlessly the music follows the ta- the text. Which you can see if you like rewind back. Like, if you rewind back, the music drops to the level that it was, and I'm like, oh shit, this is a dynamic track. Yeah, it's... The music, like, everything about it is really, really well done to capture that, like, nature documentary vibe. Yeah. Extreme op- My Octopus Teacher energy. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. More on the synth voices, uh, these were apparently Eleven Labs voices, like, uh, they were using tools from the, from that library, and how the game works is that there are several voices, the first one is, uh, there's some archival footage voices, then there's also the main voice, which is, like, you know, British documentary voice, like, uh, like documentary narrator, like, not David Attenborough, but, like, you know, just, like, an off-brand version of that. Yeah, I was gonna say, you know, like when you went to the when you went to your local IMAX theater as a child to watch a documentary about the mountains or something. Yeah, but there's like a and the way you can cotton on to the fact that this is an AI voice is that sometimes is that the voice does not necessarily have consistent pronunciations of words. That's an interesting thing I noticed. Where now and again the word will appear again, and the AI voice will pronounce it differently. Yeah. I also notice sometimes that the voice doesn't follow the subtitle lines, um, yeah. which was interesting. But I only noticed it because I saw the, in the credits that it said that, and I was like, "Huh." Yeah, like I noticed that I noticed the pronunciation difference at the end. I was like, "Oh yeah, that makes sense." Yeah, which I mean, I don't like. I don't really know how to feel about this because I feel like it's one of those things where it's like, this doesn't seem like necessarily like job stealing bad ai because like i doubt a single artist developer was going to be able to hire voice actors regardless mm-hmm. but weird in the current day and age i guess still kind of listen i've played shell song by everest pipkin i know that the vo- i know that the ai generated voice industry is a nightmare just the worst it's horrifying, frankly, on levels that, uh, you know, genuinely take a little bit of unpicking to figure out exactly what kind of nightmare they are. Play Shell Song is, is my recommendation if you're looking for more on this thread. But uh, in this game, this has a very good... Because, like you said, this is like one artist's passion project. He is working on this with, like, just the stuff that he has on hand and the time that he has on hand. What you see in South Scrimshaw as it stands right now, that's the product of four years of work. Of, like, anima- of like animation and, like, illustration and uh, composing everything else. And I can see a case for voice synthesis here. There is a... Uh, and it is one of the best uses of voice synthesis. There's... Like, all of it is deployed very skillfully. Like, it's used mm-hmm. very... It's used in a nearly seamless way, which I found very impressive. I'll say it feels additive as opposed to, like, reductive in the case of, like, big studios trying to steal, like, Troy Baker's voice. Yeah. Where this is just, like, yeah, now because of this, like, they were able to have that nature documentary voiceover, which really, really does add a lot to the experience. Honestly, as I was going through this game, one thing occurred to me, which is that like, this game was giving me emotions that I normally get from a very specific scenario, which is, you discover a webcomic with absolutely breathtaking art, and you binge all of it in one day and realize, oh, that's all we've got of this. And it's beautiful. It's a wonderful feeling. Also, much like a webcomic, this is just free. (laughs) 
Yeah, it is just free. I was so surprised that it's free because it should be money. You should pay for this. You should have to pay for this. And you can't. Especially because on Itch, it's not even like a pay what you want. It's just a download. I was shocked. Yeah. I was like, what do you mean I don't have to like, I don't have the option to like give you $5? It's insane. Yeah, let me give you $5. Yeah. At least. Even for a webcomic artist, you could, like, buy their book or something like that, but yeah, not here. like, I just, like, I was really shocked by, like, how much this game, like, I just really, really enjoyed it. Even, like, the parts, like, it truly feels like a nature documentary, even in the parts where, like, it's showing the, like, grim realities of nature and, like, I have a hard time watching nature documentaries because of that stuff. And, like, there are parts with, like, predators and stuff like that where it's like, oh, that I'm, like, feeling physically ill from the stress of this. Yeah. And it's like, that's how I feel watching nature documentaries. So, like, but then it's cool because it's, sci- it's, like, sci-fi still. It's not real animals, but they feel so real and it's so interesting. And you're, like, really invested in this fucking baby whale. Yeah. I love that whale so much. And, like, there's so many levels of detail here where there's, like... Like, you get whale anatomical diagrams, you get coral reefs, you get, like, diagrams of how coral reefs develop. You even get, like, the cultural history of this, uh... You even get the cultural history of this planetary colonization effort. Musings on why it is that this alien planet seems to have whales also. That sort of thing. And Mm -hmm. I just... I checked up on what Nathan O. Marsh, who is the dev, who is the developer, has said about this, and and, he, and there's this one sentence where he said, uh, "This is a work to express my love of the natural world, and I wanted illustrations with a real sense of light and texture and filth." Oh and yeah, it, and it just gets there. Yeah, it like it feels like the like again like watching a nature documentary of the ocean like where you have all those beautiful different shots of all the little critters and stuff. And especially the the beginning is so cool because it's like the, the whale is being born out of its like little, what do they call it, like a birthing sack or something. And then, because yeah. like apparently it's, they like come from eggs kind of, but not really. <laughs> yeah, an external womb I think is what it is. Yeah, and then they, which, sorry, but what is an egg if not an external womb? Well, there's some differences, but yeah. <laughs> I mean, anyway, but so, so the, like, the little whale comes out of his little pod, and he can hear his mom singing to him, but he, like, can't find her, and he's, like, looking around, and he's getting all kind of freaked out and overwhelmed by the world, and there's this, like, big pile of plants up on the surface when he goes up to breathe for the first time, and he's like, oh, what the fuck is that? And then... He slowly realizes that the whale is the the, the 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 big pile of plants and shit is his mom, and that's how it like starts explaining how the whales like incorporate other species into their physiology, and that's just like such a cool fucking moment. Yeah, glorious stuff. There's like, like uh, part of the th- I think part of the thing that makes this so like aesthetically effective is that it's kind of a is that the entire premise of this is kind of a bit of wish fulfillment? Where it's like, imagine the ocean, but like the whales are fine. There isn't a... The reefs are fine. There is a unfathomable complexity of life underneath the ocean that we can observe. And we're observing it sort of passively without interfering with it. This yeah, is a, we, haven't, this is a ver- we haven't fucked it all up. Yeah. Like, our sonar is not driving whales insane or anything like that. Yeah, although they did put, they did say they put, like, biometric sensors in the baby whale. So, like, you know, they're, they're doing a little bit, but I also did like that there's a part where they're like, what are the ethics of us intervening in this situation? Yeah. (laughs) That's a nice little, yeah, that's a really fun little bit where they're like, oh shit, is this whale gonna die? Yeah, and they're like, oh, fuck, like, do we let it happen? Do we not let it happen? Like, does that compromise our experiment either way? Like, what the fuck do we do? And then it's also just, like, the the human part of you that cares about this very cute baby whale, and you're just like, oh, fuck. (laughs) Yeah. And then I'm screaming, I don't care about your ethics, save the fucking whale! 
help this little boy. He's alone. He's alone and he's in trouble. Help him. Exactly. Which is why I can't be a scientist. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's just one of those things where, like, this is a unique sort of visual novel. I've never seen anything like this. It's so good. It also, it's, it's not actually like Barnacle Goose Experiment in any way, except for, like, the way that it visually presents the scientific data to make it feel so real, like it actually is an experiment that's happening, is really cool. Yeah, it speaks the language. And it's just so impressive that, like, one person did this. Yeah. One person with a lot of tools over four years. Yeah. It's it's a work that combines my love of speculative biology, pastiche webcomics, and monumental undertakings. Truly, yeah, this is a... This is, like, the most HB-ass game, I feel like. Absolutely. This is what I trained to be a biologist for. <laughs> <laughs> this is... Like, this is my, uh... This is kind of a case study for, like, what kind... Like, having having a topic that you really love and laying it out in art, because Nathan O. Marsh, nobody loves the ocean like this guy, you know? Yeah, you ever love the ocean so much you make a new ocean in outer space to have a, more ocean to talk about? Yeah, an ocean of your own dreams, like an ocean that your mind can encompass and, like, an ocean of the mysteries of. Yeah. <laughs> Pure poetry. A sensory <laughs> feast. Um, it's really fucking good, though. I'm very excited to play the rest of it and see what the fuck is going on with this baby boy. Yeah, I mean, when the rest of it comes out in six years, I'm gonna be wait. I'm gonna be there. I'll be first in line, bitch. I'll be there. <laughs> yeah. I'll be knocking Pro on on the on Nathan o. Marsh's door like, hello, whale, please. <laughs> Give me that whale. I love him. I also like how, I also like how the game kind of puts this in where they're like, uh, okay, and at the end of part one, we're gonna, you know, let this lie for, uh, we're gonna let this lie for a few years and let this baby whale turn into a full, full ass adult whale. I I love the ending narration where they're like, yeah, so we're gonna, we're gonna not see him for like twenty years, which is like kind of fucked for a documentary because like the whole point is kind of to watch the full transformation. But you're just gonna see it all at once, and like that's not great. But like, eh, that's what we had access to thanks to the government or whatever, the science authority, whoever's funding this shit. Um, and I was like, okay, <laughs> it's like kind of an interesting thing to be like, yeah, wouldn't it have been great for this documentary if we could have done this other thing anyway? Yeah, well, it has a lot of this because there's like, there's an so this game has this thing called asides where you get off to the side and it, like, explains some of the adjacent concepts of the narrative of the documentary itself. And one of these, for example, is, uh, there's a, there's a sort of illustration that you get in one aside where they say, okay, we're gonna be using, uh, we're gonna be using this character called Seabun to illustrate how exactly this whale's symbiosis works. And then there's an aside for Seabun that says, uh, we have been instructed to be very clear that Seabun is not real. <laughs> this is a common misconception across the years. Seabun is just like our version of a gremlin. Yeah, Seabun is just a generic ocean organism. Yeah. <laughs> Insert ocean organism here is fucking Seabun. And you get a brief history lesson about the cartoonist who drew Seabun. Oh, it's so good. I also really like when you start the game and the like the documentary starts, there's an illustration of like a weird little guy who's like apparently their legal counsel and he's like holding a law book and he's like doing the disclaimer that like any anything depicted is coincidence, blah 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 blah. Mm -hmm. I love that guy. This is not a sperm whale, and we need to be very clear about this. Do not go taking into this into biology class. Yeah, there none of none of none literally I mean literally nothing in the game aside from like I think platypus and echidna are like actual animals that we have on Earth because I mean like whales are whales but they're they're brillo whales and we haven't seen if there are other kinds of whales and like there are sharks but they're different sharks. Also, I want to get 
like a tattoo of the chomper shark when it makes like yeah. the silly little like <gasps> face when the little whale is scared of it because oh my god incredible <laughs> a shark going into goo fast dork mode yeah and then and then the little whale is like fuck that guy fuck that guy he's scary fuck that guy and he's there like <sighs> just yeah. vibing they got so much character there's like every like so many little guys in this i don't even know that i have anything else to say about it it's just fucking cool and good yeah it's just like it's just something very pleasant about going through something that's like such an obvious labor of love but also of suffering mm-hmm it's also nice to see something like that turn out like really good yeah it takes as long as it needs to take you know like what Whatever it turns out to be down the line, what what is already there is just incredible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, I think that's also all, all I have to say about South Scrimshaw. Go and play it. It's free on itch. Go find yeah. it. And it's also not very long. I think it's like maybe two hours. Yeah. The length of a good nature documentary. Yeah, it's it's a really nice, like consolidated but not rushed, well paced little experience that will make you fall in love with a beautiful little baby whale yeah hb tell me about your first game okay i am pleased to tell you about slayer's x colon terminal aftermath colon vengeance of the slayer this is a, a 2023 game it is a retro throwback first person shooter by tender shoot published by no more robots and these are the and these are the hypnospace outlaw guys and also the Dropsy guys, if if you if you know about that. Uh, Ty, have you played Hypnospace Outlaw? I have not. It's on my list, but it's mm-hmm. it's lingering in the backlog, as many are doomed to. Yeah. What's well, my game of the year of 2019? So naturally, I had to look into this. So it is a spin-off of the 2019 game Hypnospace Outlaw, which is of course, which is as I mentioned, also by the also by the Tender Shoot people. And fictionally, what Slayer's X is is a mod of a late 90s shooter called Cataclysm, which is made by a character from Hypnospace Outlaw, who is a shitty teen who you can ban from the service because he's being a nuisance, a bully, and a creep. <laughs> and then and then after you ban him, at some point, he rediscovers this, this mod that he was making in the late 90s and makes it into a game in its own right, funded from his meager lottery winnings. That's the fiction of this game's production, because it's... Uh, and it's so it's kind of awkward to talk about this, right? Because because it's operating on several post-ironic layers of fiction, starting from like Zane being himself like kind of a self-insert for Jay Tholen, who is one of the lead devs on Hypnospace Outlaw, and just from Tendershoot in general, and he's sort of a reflection on the long-lost past of the emerging internet. Because his thing is he is uh, like how best to explain him. As a character, he's sort of like a teen who is awful, but without having any of the tools to really be properly awful for the most part. Like he doesn't he doesn't really know any swear words, he doesn't know any slurs, he doesn't he doesn't really know anything. <laughs> that's kind that's kinda of his vibe. He's very into the uh, he's very into the sewage themed new metal band seepage. And he's into a bunch of other things, but you know, he's like he's like uh, he's like got a teen's mentality. So, what this game actually is, is, as I mentioned, a retro, retro throwback shooter, and it's in fiction developed by Zane and, you know, inspired by his aesthetics. But the game itself is sort of like uh, one of the build engine games of the late 90s. It, in keeping with Zane's interests, features a self-insert of him as the main character, as well as a character from Seepage, that band that I mentioned, as well as like some other stuff from his own life. And it's sort of like... Uh, so it plays a lot like the 1997 game Blood, where it's where it's mechanically polished. It's like you run around and shoot people. You got very deeply idiosyncratic weapons here. You have a shotgun that you load with broken glass from windows, and the grenade launcher that explodes into sludge, but also into rats, and those rats that attack your enemies because the rats are your friends. Hell yeah! Uh, it's also got hack blood, which is an energy bar. Use it to power your, uh, use use it to power your melee weapon, 
which has which has sort of a master sword from Legend of Zelda thing going on, where when you're at full energy, you can use it to like shoot energy blasts at things, and then you also unlock other weapons to use your energy bar. And so at this point, we get into the aesthetics of this, which, as you might expect from a sewage-themed uh, new metal band being one of its supposed aesthetic influences, it's uh it's a lot like if Duke Nukem was all about shit, like literal human shit, like. You play a beefed-up fantasy self-insert of Zane. You are... Except without any of the horny nerd vibes. Like, there isn't really anything that's properly offensive in this game unless, you know... Except for, like, the sort of... It's post-ironic where it's like... Post-ironic is a word I keep coming back to with this. Specifically because there is just so much weird stuff in this game. For example, the shit stuff... Starts starts off as co it starts coming off as toilet humor, but then becomes like a different thing entirely. Like almost a uh, it doesn't even it stops scanning as toilet humor and becomes more of a peon to shit. You know that kind of vibe. Like when it's mm -hmm. kind of lost its meaning a little bit, and you're just kind of immersed in this very off tasting uh, mixture. <laughs> and yeah, there isn't it, it commits to its bit like very sincerely and stupidly. There isn't like a there isn't like a twist here. This is just, like, this strange time capsule of a teen's inner life made into a, uh, made into a build engine shooter, basically. Replicating the build engine very closely. Like, it creates a... So, historically speaking, there's a... There's a particular fantasy scenario going on here. So, like, Doom.wads were, like, very... Very culturally ubiquitous. Like, you had this a lot where people made shooter maps that were, like, their own hometowns, or their own, like, uh, or their own, like, or places that they knew, that sort of thing. Uh, build engine games got this a little less, because they were just really finicky to build stuff in. So this game is, like, sort of an alternate reality where build games got this same kind of attention, right? And there's, like, so... Here we get to the, here we get to the part of the game that, like, kind of occurred to me later on, which is that there's just the... The interesting vibe here is this a guy a little guy putting his whole life on a shooter map. Like okay. everything that he was interested in at some point. All of it is just kinda laid out in there. It's it's a game that's littered with the uh, little littered with little details from an uneventful life led by a man living in Idaho. I also I also looked this up. This may be the first game in history set in Boise, Idaho. <laughs> Yeah, it's like, it's kind of, uh, the sort of metafiction that unfolds over this game is that there's a, there's just kind of, there's something beautiful to me in the idea of a man just finding his own self in, like, a game project that he unearthed, because that's the, because that's the sort of intro cinematic of this game, it's Zane finding an old CD of his game mod and being like, I'm gonna make this into a game, using some lotto winnings that I happen to conveniently have. And there's a there's a lot in this game, but probably my favorite map is uh, a secret map you unlock after finishing the game proper. It's just called like Welcome to Boise, <laughs> uh, which is an unfinished map, or so it's like positioned. And it's a, and uh, and so you go through that map and you get Zane's developer commentary as you go through it, <laughs> where it's not really developer commentary. You just kind of you just kind of you just kind of go past like the Idaho uh, DOH. You go past like go past like a store where he used to buy things. You get like uh, you get a lot of stuff in there, and it's just a it's just like a tour of his childhood. Where he just kind of doesn't even reflect on it, but just kind of puts it in front of you and lets you lets you kind of think about that. It's just kind of insane. Where at the very end you get this strange sentimental little piece of the game that you go through and he goes like, oh yeah, I used to buy my Squishers toys in the store, but you know. The clerk was rude to me one time, so I just kind of... <laughs> so, but, you know, who cares? Squishers are lame anyway. And this is... And the fact that it's unfinished brings you to this idea that there's just something... That there's something here, you know? That you have this little time capsule. Like, that you've written yourself into a game, and there's, like, a very specific version of yourself into a game. Like, rendering yourself into a concrete object for other people to experience. Because this is something that's... Like, often with a lot of throwback shooters, you get this vibe of, uh, oh, this is like, you know, 
this is a game in its own right. This is like us going back and being like, so, you know, these are retro throwback shooters the way, these are retro shooters the way you remember them. There's a lot of these around right now. Or at least they were fashionable a little while ago. I think they've kind of petered out. But this game goes for something more specific. It goes for like, uh, it goes for a game mod vibe. And the other secret maps are specifically, you know, this is my first map I ever made. This is my second map I ever made for this other fictional shooter cataclysm. <laughs> like, there's just, there's just a lot going on here. Yeah, I don't know how else to put it. it. I'm not sure if it'll make sense to people who haven't played Hypnospace Outlaw, but it's just, I found it remarkably compelling. Like, it flows smoothly. It's unpleasant, but, like, spicy unpleasant, you know? Like, the unpleasant is kind of the point. Yeah. Yeah. The unpleasantness is a way that you get at this reality of being, like, kind of a weird teen. Yeah, it's, it's just a it's just a lot of fun. It's like a game that didn't click for me for the longest time. I thought I was gonna be like, yeah, you know, this is a this is a shooter. I guess I guess it's cool if you're into shit. But there's like, <laughs> at the end, I was like, hmm, I'm feeling emotions about this. That's weird. Listen, <laughs> we love uh, when a game makes you feel emotions. Yeah, it's subtle. It's weirdly subtle. Like, it seems like a game they made as a joke, but it does work. I mean, hell yeah, I guess that's, like, effectively working with your material, right? Yeah. They had a they had a lot of thoughts about Zane. Yeah, it sounds like they, they really wanted to work through some stuff about that character. Uh-huh. What's your game? Uh, my game is Remnants of the Rift which is from Bromeo, which I believe they are a Mexican studio, um, and they are published by Mooncat Games. Um, and this is an early access game, but it is an action roguelite game where you play as a non-binary dimensional diving mercenary named Morgan. Um, Damn. Yeah, it's a pretty cool pitch. Uh, and so, like, the whole thing is very, like, kind of 80s. It's not black exploitation, but it's, like, that same era where it's, like, the all right and the, like, funky, groovy kind of music, Austin Powers-y almost mm-hmm. kind of era energy. And, but it's also sci-fi. Morgan has, like, robot arms. And you're basically hopping between, like, different worlds and dimensions uh, as a mercenary, trying to, you know, like, complete jobs. And as you go, you're also trying to um, recollect, like, memories and just figure out what the hell is going on with the, like, reality jumpingness of it all. Um... And then in terms of actual gameplay, like, when you go on these, like, dives for these missions, you land on, like, a grid with enemies, um, and then it becomes, like, a tactical game where you have different abilities and different, like, movements that let you attack or switch your position, um, and as you go, you can, like, pause and kind of plan out your moves, um, and then unpause, and yeah, then you also have uh, a a a funny a funny little guy friend. Well, he's not little. He's te- he's like the same size as you. His name is Thomas, mm-hmm. and he's a dude who drives you around. Well, you know, sometimes you just have the energy of a little guy, regardless of the size of guy you actually are. Yeah, I don't know if he has little guy energy. He kind of has like he kind of has like pathetic dirtbag energy a little bit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> is he a little meow meow? Like he has the look of a little meow meow. He's not, I would not say that he actually is, but he has that look. He has, like, divorced energy. (laughs) That's even better. Hell yeah. Yeah, he, like, looks like a former, like, 80s record producer. He looks like he could be an American Hustle, if you've seen that. Yes! Yes! This this whole game has, like, what if American Hustle was actually a sci-fi film? (laughs) 
isn't it? Isn't it really? <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so then you're basically just trying to like dive deeper through the dimensions and like deal with all of the weird factions that are like trying to take control of the ability to dimension hop and stuff. Um, and then you're also, it gets a little Metroidvania-y too, because as you go, you're also trying to like build alliances and get like equipment so that you can go further into your dives. But yeah, it's a it's a fun kind of interesting take on like roguelite strategy type stuff. Um and you know, if you ever need like a game where you only want to play it for like 20 or 30 minutes whatever and then come back, like it's definitely a good one for that. You just do like a run or two and you know, put it down. Um but yeah, I think it's cool and also it's it's in early access and it's already like pretty solid, so I feel like it can really only improve as time goes on. Yeah. So yeah, that's mine. I'm looking at the grid where combat takes place on. This give this is reminding me of Live Alive, and honestly, that's that's something I've always wanted to play again. Go, here it is. Yeah, oh, that might be a good one to look into. This podcast is really just me selling games to HB every week. Yeah, listen, <laughs> I need games. Give them to me. Listen, that's what I'm here to do. I'm here to give you the game. Um, yeah. speaking of which, now it's your turn to give me a game. My game is a game that's, since I played it, I've not really been able to shut up about. This is Black Book, which is a 2021 RPG by Morteshka, uh, published by Hype Train Digital. In it, you play, you play Vasilisa, who is a, a witch in training, whose boyfriend committed suicide, and now you're going to crack the seven seals of a book of black magic to get him out of hell. Okay, alright. Yeah, it's sort of a, like, it has a, it's sort of a card-based RPG game, like when, uh, <laughs> role-playing game game. It is a role-playing game game, and, uh, the trick, and the trick of it is, before you can do all of that, you need to crack those seven seals one at a time, because, you know, that's a, that's a pretty, that's a pretty tall order for any kind of witch to do. Mm -hmm. Uh, but to crack the, crack the seals on that book, you also need to work as a witch for your local area. Which is the historical area of Cherdin in the Perm area in Imperial Russia around the year 1900. <laughs> it's very specifically targeted. They got like historical maps for this. They got like, this is what the village looked like around 1900. Jesus. They did like reference studies for like, uh, oh, this is what this is what the windmill was like. This is what everything was like. There's like just so much going on in here. So, yeah. So. Night after night, you head out into the moonlit countryside, and you usually have a preset itinerary that runs along these, like I said, historical maps. So you go in there, you help people out, you meet friends, you sometimes sit down with them for a spell, maybe sing a song, uh, listen, <laughs> you know, just take in the night. Uh, because you're a witch, you always work at night, because that's when the devil's around. <laughs> Look, we're going to get into that in a little bit. And as you run into devils and stuff like that, you do battle with them, and this is handled by a card-based combat system where you just kind of arrange a magical spell that you're going to cast, which is going to give you, like, defense, you're gonna, you're gonna blast the devils, you're gonna, you know, give them the evil eye, various kinds of things. White and black magical disciplines get woven together to create, like, protection and harm. You can, you know, adjust how much of that on both sides you want. But yeah. Uh, the actual trick of it is, is that you don't just do battle with devils, this isn't like, this isn't really that combat heavy of a game for the most part, but you also employ devils, and you do this via your magical witch's basket. Now, there is a problem with employing devils, of course, which is that they're just total fuckers. They're real <laughs> bastards. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the problem with devils is that they're total fuckers. They are. This mechanically manifests in the game, which is that if you let devils stay inside your house, they're going to make your life miserable. They're going to ruin everything you own. They're going to they're going to they're going to destroy your stuff. They're going to sit on your chest while you sleep. They're going to do all kinds of things. It just kind of sounds like they're cats. Uh, like cats, but imagine cats, but minus the cute factor, all all on the bastard factor. <laughs> Now, the way you get around this is you have to keep them busy. And the way you keep them busy is by doing what in your book is a manageable amount of harm to the populace. 
They go out there, they spoil milk, they ruin crops, they spread disease, they do that kind of thing. And the reason you need to do this is because otherwise, like, your effectiveness as a witch is going to crater if you keep those devils with you. And of course, maybe you're not into that. Maybe you go like, maybe I shouldn't be, you know, making people miserable. As you improve in skill for a web, as you improve in skill as a witch, you have an entire skill tree that's about, like, how can I, how can I minimize the harm that my devils are doing? <laughs> Which is then through things like giving them stupid and harmless tasks. Like, you can tell them to, oh yeah, go collect all the sand in a sieve. Go count the needles on a pine tree. Go, like, measure the entire length of this river. And they're gonna do it. They don't have a choice, <laughs> they don't have a choice not to do it. And it diverts them for a night with no real moral responsibility on your part. You've just kind of tricked them into doing, doing your work without any of the visceral pleasure of ruining your life. <laughs> uh, yeah, so the, the second layer of the game that's beyond the battles is like a lot of choice and consequence stuff. So you're juggling your money, your valuables, your spells, and of course, the numerical quantity of sin units you've committed during the game. <laughs> yeah. Which is all the times that you've chosen to, like, do evil, or, like, you know, steal people's shit, if you want to, like, hurt people to get your way, that kind of thing. All of it just kind of stays with you, and there's no... there's mostly no way to remove them. They just kind of linger like a stain on your soul. Do they have... do they have a mechanical effect down the line? I say, don't worry about it. It's not like you're gonna meet the devil or anything. <laughs> yeah, why would you? Yeah. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Anyway, at the end of the day, it's kind of like, like, what this game reminded me of, like, on top of being, like, a, uh, on top of being, like, very folklorically deeply researched, that's, it has kind of a similar workaday vibe as the Witcher games, where, but they kind of work a little better at this than the Witcher games, because, uh, in Black Book, you are very literally tethered to your work and your place of work. Like, in the Witcher games, you're always traveling around, there's always, like, like, people are gonna screw you over. But, you know, you're going to eventually, you're going to hopefully swing back from that when you get to the next place. And this, no such thing as possible in Black Book. You are kind of stuck here, because Black Book, being set in Imperial Russia, class mobility is, you know, a concept that Karl Marx thought of a while back, but hasn't quite taken yet in Russia. They're going to have a revolution about it in a few years, and it's going it's to go a certain way. And in any case, you're, but for you, for this, like, country witch living in the Ural Mountains... <laughs> You're gonna live in Churden until your dying day, regardless of anything. So you gotta, like, you know, watch yourself, you gotta build your rep, you gotta defend yourself against other wizards. You gotta do a lot of things like that. And, you can, and of course, as many wizards do, you gotta be, uh, as many witches and wizards do, you gotta, like, if anybody disrespects you, it makes sense to, you know, get back at them somehow, give them a curse or whatever. Because that's witchy, you know? And so, to get more into, like, the historical aspect here, like, it's, uh, regionalism itself has become kind of a fashionable thing in games more recently. Like, you see this in, like, Kentucky Route Zero, you see this in Norco, you see this in a lot of places to go, like, oh yeah, we're gonna, we're gonna render the, we're gonna render this particular place in time within the game. And Black Book just leans all the way in on this. It has a specific place, a specific time, a very specific subject matter. Like, these are, these are games that are about, like, these are games that are about folklore in a very direct way. Like they have a they have a really detailed approach to like witches and stuff like that. That's actually does lay out lots of things that most people don't necessarily find intuitive about witches. Like including a very nuanced portrayal of like Slavic folklore. One of the big concepts that this like leans into is this idea of double belief, which has its own Russian term that like the game uses. So the thing there is that you have double belief. Which is the simultaneous existence of both Christian doctrine and folk deities or devils in the minds of the people in these areas, and oh, just the it's way that pentiment. Yeah, okay. uh, more direct. Pentiment doesn't have the same level of detail because, like, pentiment is sort of a, like, pentiment is an American game about a German place. Yes. Uh, this is a Russian game about a Russian place from people who seem to be from the area. Like even the even the even the choral pieces are done by a students' choir from the area. <laughs> Can you imagine being one of those kids? Like, yeah, I sung like these spooky folk songs for this very specific game when I yeah. was a, a youth in my choir. Yeah, there's a 
there's a lot of there's a lot of specificity here. There's like a lot of there's a lot of talk about like where this folklore originates. Like for example, uh, there are like Russian games that explore similar territory to this, but none of them in this same detail. Where like Pathologic gets into like, oh yeah, there's people living in Russia who are not just Russian, you know. But in this game, this addresses like the, the this interface is the like the interface between Imperial Russia and the original inhabitants of the areas that they, you know, colonized and they raised toward expansion. In this case, the Komi people. Who live around the Ural area. And also, like and also there's like a there's like a brief appearance from like from like Bushkir folklore in different places. So there's a lot of just like it's so specific. It's so researched. It's wild to me. Like just it has the, it results in an incredibly grounded idea of witches. Like what their belief, beliefs are, what their abilities are, and like why do people keep them around? Why do you need like a healer like this around? And the answer is, as you explore various chapters, people are gonna come up to you and go like, "Oh, my wife got stolen by a sauna devil. Can you help?" <laughs> Beautiful spirits in here, and just the and just the art style is just the art style. I mentioned Kentucky Route Zero. This game kind of looks like Russian folklore, it, Kentucky Route Zero in places. Yeah. yeah. I could see that, like, looking at the little trailer on Steam and stuff. Yeah. And it's not just, and it's not just, like, the main music is this, uh, most of the mu- most of the incidental music in this game is various kinds of, uh, is various kinds of, like, little moody electronic pieces that really fit the nighttime atmosphere. Like, it's, it just, it just looks great. Moment to moment, in general. And yeah, from... And this is also, by the way, a really meaty game. It has like 40 hours of gameplay in it. It's huge from what it is. And in each chapter, like one for each seal, you just cover you just cover an individual topic in folklore. Like you get one for like you get a chapter for Leshies, you get a chapter for like the Sonda Devil, you get like lots of other ones in there. I love the idea of a Sonda Devil. Just like just a guy who likes to soak in hot water and be real fucking shitty. Yeah, well, in this in this case, it's it's a little it's a little more fucked up than that. There's a there's there's some stuff about changelings in there, and there's also what the sauna devil does is because of, you know like what the sauna roughly does to your body. The theming around the sauna devil is that it flays people. Oh, yeah, lots of pretty hard stuff sometimes. Also, and this is maybe the most important detail. There's a cat, and the cat does a cat voice. Oh, we love like when with, cats do cat voices. Like with all the little like various that kind of thing going on and things going on. Hell yeah. Great game. I'm also seeing that this is apparently on iOS, which is like making me go eyes emoji because I would love to play this in my bed. Yeah. Well, I can't speak to what how good the iOS port is, but the PC port is but the PC version is great. Yeah, I believe it. It it just says that it's 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 playable on Steam Deck, but it's not like certified yet. So I'm like, hmm. hmm. I wonder if the iOS version is better or worse. I will investigate. Yeah, I would definitely recommend this game to virtually anyone. Yeah, I love a card game too, and this looks really really fucking nifty. And also, like on a subject I don't really know very much about. Yeah. Yeah, there's like like even from the aesthetics themselves, it's like I feel like I feel like I haven't seen the game like play around with like Slavic Via's script like like this game does. It's it's really just genuinely kind of a like there's a lot of games that do like Slavic folklore without really specifying where it's from. Like the like the Witcher games are sort of like this, where they're drawing on Polish stuff, but like more generally drawing on like just the entire body of fairy tales. This game includes stuff like, oh, like, like, you know that thing where, uh, like how, this game includes things like folkloric narratives in there that you can just look up in the additional materials, and some of them are from, like, you know, olden times. There's one that's, like, a woman narrating how she, in, like, I don't know, like the 80s or something, (laughs) is going out, is going out in the woods, is getting lost, and goes like, hmm, wait, I'm fucking lost, what do I do? And then you just, and then you just like, uh, and then she had the idea, oh, I must be getting tricked by a leshy. And so what she does 
is she puts her boots on backwards. <laughs> or like puts like the right foot on the left foot and the left foot on the right foot. And turns her turns her coat inside out, that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And starts walking and finds the bus stop at last. How mad because... would you be if you were that leshy? You're just like, what the fuck? I can't you believe you still do figured this. it out. You just fucking got me. How dare you? You bastard. I thought people had forgotten the old ways. Yeah, because damn, that's like, that would be a bummer for monsters if people like learned your little tricks and then were like, <laughs> not anymore, bitch. Yeah. Well, guess, well, guess what people do in, guess what your job is in this game? To say, <laughs> not anymore, bitch. Can't get me. Too smart. Yeah, I'm gonna play this. I'm gonna play this one. It looks really neat. Yeah. Alright, so I think that's all I got on this one, so play us out. What's the what's your second game? I'm glad you said play us out, because my game is Goodbye Volcano High from Co-op. Um yeah. and it is a game that is actually like pretty intensely about music. It's also about, like, being in your final year of high school and, like, trying to figure out who you want to be as a person and, like, dealing with the fact that your friends also are trying to be their own people and how that, like, may or may not line up with you. Um, and then it's also, like, about the world probably ending and, like, how you deal with that as a person. <laughs> Ooh. And... It's pretty good, especially considering, like, all of the hells that it went through in terms of its development. Um, it's, like, a surprisingly cohesive story, and I came away from it, like, really enjoying it. And there were a couple of spots that, like, had me emotional. So, yeah, I guess that's the high level. And then the, the kind of, the kind of, uh, closer plot summary-ish type deal is you play it's a visual novel for the most part although there are also like little rhythm game sections um and you play as Ooh. an anthropomorphic dinosaur named fang who lives in an area called caldera um with a bunch of other dinosaur people and they are going into their final year of high school and they have been kind of by themselves all summer because their friends have been like off doing stuff with their families and stuff and meanwhile like fang and their brother have been home alone because their parents are on a trip um and so fang has spent the summer writing a song in the hopes of getting an audition for a big musical festival in town that they've auditioned for like a bunch of times and have never gotten in and so then uh, things friends come back and you start kind of trying to do like band stuff and getting into school and meeting some of the other characters and the main kind of conflict is just like it starts to become apparent that like reed and trish who are uh fang's bandmates and like best friends are like probably not on the same wavelength as them when it comes to how committed they are to the band and like wanting to pursue music as like their overall goals um, and that gets pretty exacerbated by the fact that right after school goes back into session, all these weird power outages start happening, and they get reports that an asteroid is coming close to the planet, and it may or may not hit. Um, and so everybody is kind of, like, <laughs> freaking the fuck out about that. Um, and so, yeah, it's a lot of, like teen existential dread about like growing up but made exponentially worse by like the impending apocalypse that do it yeah yeah and i feel like like co-op one of the delays that they had was because of covid and i feel like if i was like a senior in high school right now and i played this game it would be over like I would be emotionally destroyed, I think. Like, I cannot imagine being a, a young person who, like, went through their final year of high school during COVID and then, like, playing this. Because it feels, like, very cathartic in that way. Like, it does feel like it's kind of in conversation with COVID in its, like, portrayals of, you know, like, a global disaster. Um, 
and just the feeling that like everything is going to change and like it's probably not all going to be great um and yeah i cannot imagine being someone whose like final year of high school was during like 2020 or 2021 and playing this it feels like it would be fucking devastating <laughs> yeah in addition to the ways that that high school <laughs> high school year would just be devastating in general yeah yeah it like i feel like if i like because there were already moments in the game that i was like that i like cried a little and stuff but like i just i cannot like if i was a person in those shoes and i played this game i feel like i would be destroyed <laughs> Yeah, but it's really good um i think the characters are really well written the voice acting is like pretty good i think the rhythm game is like meh mm-hmm. but the art is really cool and yeah i think it it doesn't shy away from like trying to have emotional conflicts and also like fang is not always in the right and the game is like not afraid of showing that and yeah, it's just it's a it's a good emotional story. Um there's like one kind of side plot that I think is a little underbaked, but I was honestly pretty impressed by how, like how cohesive and like good it turned out. Yeah. In a game like this, they can't really all be winners, you know? Mhm. Mhm. But beyond that, I think it's like a really cohesive story and I think it turned out like really really well. Especially given all yeah. the bullshit that they had to deal with to get it out. Yeah, I've been hearing about this game for years, and I'm glad that it came out and was like, it turned out great. Yeah, I was like genuine. I was like worried going in, and I came away, and I was like, that was like surprisingly, like not. And I feel like the, I don't want this to be a dig at co-op because it's not. They've just been through so much shit in the past few years trying to make this game that like I feel like anybody would have a hard time coming out with something really good and cohesive and like they did so yeah yeah i mean i mean cosmic queen sisterhood literally had a literally had a little bit in its epilogue about this they were yeah like, oh yeah we made this during covid it was hard as hell yeah yeah and like for folks who don't know co-op had covid they had a weird targeted alt-right hate campaign where they made like a parody game that like stole our assets from them and stuff that came out first um and then they also like completely redid the main story um which uh, i don't know what the original one was but this story was good and like very solid and pretty like cohesive throughout so i would say like that was the correct decision mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, people people talk a lot about rewrites, but you know, rewrites are good. Mm-hmm. You got it. Yeah, and I mean, I feel like rewrites on that big of a scale, I feel like people usually take us like a ooh sign, but like it worked out really well in this case. Yeah, it's like it's like like you make a draft of a story, and then you realize that it, like this needs extensive rewrites. Yeah. Which is fine, and it it turned out yeah. really well, I think. So sometimes you just like, especially when you're working on the game for like this many years. At some point, you're going to be like, hmm, maybe I need to rework this whole thing a little bit. Yeah. Which, yeah, I feel like it would have been really easy to get like lost in the sauce of like doing that and trying to reshape the direction, and it doesn't seem like that happened at all. So great. Well, that's another that's another one to add to the pile. Yep, it's, it's literally just me handing you a game, you handing me a game, me handing you a game. It's like this is some kind of indie mixtape or something. Something like that. Damn. Um, but yeah, HB, where can people find you? Where can they uh can they see any of your things that you're doing? All of that biz. Yeah, as always. You can find everything that I do on gm36.itch.io. That's gm36.itch.io. Go there today and get something for free. All of my stuff is pay what you want. You can take any of it. I don't mind. Hell yeah. You can find me on the various and sundry uh, social medias that have broken into the wind at Keeper. 
And Indie Mixtape is a product of Uppercut, which you can find on all social media at Uppercut Crit or just at Uppercut if you're on Blue Sky. Um, and as always, we just want to remind you that Uppercut is a reader and listener supported venture. So if you like what we do and would like to support this podcast or us having freelance writers on the site or, you know, just covering the costs of our various hostings and things, uh, you can head on over to patreon.com slash Uppercut Crit and check out the various and sundry tiers that we have available on there. Um, and yeah, that's going to do it for us this time. And uh, we'll see you next, next whenever for some more indie gaming. Goodbye. Yeah. Maybe sooner than you think. Goodbye.